Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. get started. Um, It's been six months now as we've uh, spent together through the Gospel of Matthew, Um, and uh, as your tour guide, if you will, I want to thank you just for your uh, faithful participation over these last six months. Uh, We've covered a lot of territory. Uh, We have uh, had a series where we've really been uh, intended to cover a lot of territory. We've been covering one, two, three chapters at a time, big chunks of text, and I pray that through it, uh, our opinion of the splendor of the Lord Jesus Christ is increasing, uh, because ultimately that's what it's all about. Um, I want to let you know that uh, today is kind of our last Sunday uh, covering big chunks of text. Um, I had actually originally planned to kind of continue this out through the end of June, but I just uh, have had this sense that I need to slow down. We're coming into the crucifixion and the resurrection. That is nothing to fly over too quickly. So I'm actually going to extend in through the month of July as we cover through the text. So after today, we're going to slow down a little bit and take it in, savor it in, and enjoy it. But today we have a doozy of a discourse. Uh, Open your Bibles to Matthew 24 and 25. If you would actually uh, uh, turn your Bibles to chapter 26, I I want to uh, read a couple verses there that actually conclude uh, this what's commonly called the Olivet Discourse. Um, I usually don't do this. In fact, there's everything in me that doesn't want to go to the end. Uh, because part of what ends up happening is I love for the text to unfold. I mean, that's how the original readers saw it. They saw it unfolding before them, and, and it's kind of like telling the end of a movie before the movie begins, and I don't like doing that, but I think today this one's important because of what we're going to be uh, taking a look at where this ends up at. Okay, so let me read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 26. This is the end of where we're going to be finishing today in the Olivet Discourse. And it says this, When Jesus had finished all of these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man, Old Testament term referring to the Messiah, who Jesus has said that he is, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. So what we have is today, we have these two chapters, 24 and 25, this Olivet Discourse, this doozy of a discourse, all of this ends up being brought back to what is the disciples' next coming few days. That's an important point I want for you to understand uh, as we go into this. This is not just about what's happening ahead, this is about what happens tomorrow. Okay? So just keep that in mind. We'll come back. I think you'll see what I'm talking about. Now, setting the context. Uh, If you look at chapters 23 and 22 uh, from last Sunday, Jesus and the disciples were on the Temple Mount. They've been there. It's Passover week. Uh, Jerusalem is 
packed with people, hundreds of thousands of people at this time. And uh, so everything is a buzz, things are moving, activity is happening, and Jesus at the temple just laid out these woes upon the scribes and the Pharisees. I mean, he laid it hard and heavy, and everybody is stunned by the things that he says. And now we come into chapter 24, and look at the first few words, Jesus left the temple. Okay, what we are about to uh, grab a hold of is finishing out kind of this day where Jesus has gone into the temple area with the leadership and turned them and everyone inside out and upside down. And and now we have this discourse. And, and, And understand this, when Jesus knows chapter 26 that in the next couple days uh, he is going to go to the cross in that uh, when people who don't know what's happening, i.e. the disciples, when people don't know exactly what's going to happen, when they are in hard times of life, when they are about to experience hard times of life, the thing that they need is hope. They need hope, right? We do. We are a people, broken people, in desperate need of hope from God. Because what in the world is going on? And I think the whole Olivet Discourse is all ultimately about hope. We're going to take a look at this. Um, Let me make mention of three commentators on this, because I think they bring some important information. Uh, The first one, just it's brief, it says this, D.A. Carson says, few chapters of the Bible have called forth more disagreement among interpreters than this passage. David Platt says, this is one of the most controversial passages in the New Testament. He goes on and he says, solid Bible-believing Christians and scholars debate the various details of the passage. However, if we're not careful, listen to this, we will miss what is most important in the text. I'll bring those together. John MacArthur says this up on the screen. He says, the teaching of the Olivet Discourse is much debated and frequently misunderstood, largely because it is viewed through the lens of a particular theological system or interpretive scheme that makes the message appear complex and enigmatic or puzzling. But the disciples were not learned men. That gives me hope. And Jesus' purpose was to give them clarity and encouragement, not complexity and anxiety. The last thing you need right before you're going into a hard time of life is complexity and anxiety. I mean, that just comes with the territory in our hearts. The intricate interpretations that are sometimes proposed for this passage would have left the disciples utterly dumbfounded. It is preferable to take Jesus' words as simply and as straightforwardly as possible. Now here's the irony. Oh, Johnny. He says that, and then right after that are 124 pages of commentary on these two chapters. (laughs) Now, I guess part of that, it's like, You're buying a commentary, so you want to hear whatever person that is has to say, but it's irony to me that he says, we make it way too complex, and then lays out 124 pages. So here's the deal with it, friends. We are going to make this today 
simple and as straightforward as possible. And that's kind of what we've been doing with the whole series. We've been taking a high perspective, a high view over things. And listen, there are times, absolutely, we could do a course, and there are courses on these two chapters. But that's not the purpose of today. And by the way, I don't even think that fits with the context of what was happening. What am I talking about? Jesus has just laid out these woes. He shut the scribes and the Pharisees, the Herodians and the Sadducees down. He's just given these woes, telling the people uh, those woes on the scribes and the Pharisees. He has just blown apart the whole system on the temple. They leave the temple grounds. And look, chapter 24, verse 1. Jesus left the temple ground and was going away. And when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, by the way, you see the picture kind of right behind me. Uh, it, it kind of represents this. They've walked out of the temple grounds. They're out on the Mount of Olives here, or they're heading on their way out. They look back at the temple. And, and friends, I don't think we understand the, the grandness of the temple as it was at that time. It was an absolute architectural phenomenon. The, the, the building of the temple in Israel was like the building of the, of the pyramids in Egypt. When you go and you see the size of the stones that are put in place, just like the pyramids, you go, how in the world did they do that without like John Deere equipment? How did they do that? It's phenomenal. Tons and tons of each single brick and moved by hand and structure and creativity put in place. And I think here, after Jesus has just laid the whole establishment out, the disciples are walking away, they're looking back and they're going, whoa, that is phenomenal. And by the way, I'm just gonna tag in here. I wonder if not, in their minds, they are thinking that Jesus has just put the establishment out and they are soon about ready to see the throne taken and they are excited about the temple being taken back. And they are looking upon the temple grounds and they look at it and they say, they point it out. And while they are pointing it out, Jesus, verse two, he says, but he answered them, see all these things, do you not truly, I by the way, that sounded like Yoda, didn't it? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left one stone upon another that will be thrown down. You've got to understand, right in that moment, the disciples are like, what? I think in their minds, they were actually dreaming of what was about to happen. And Jesus just blew their minds. That what they think is about to happen isn't going to happen. All the bricks are going to come tumbling down. Verse 3, and then he sat on the sound of on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? That's a great question. Do you understand why they would be asking that in light of what's just happened? Like, Lord, you just blew our minds with what you just say. When is this gonna happen? What, 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 what is this all about? And so Jesus takes a seat. So here's what I'm gonna ask of you. I'm gonna ask that we uh, uh, take in this discourse like we did with the Sermon on the Mount if you were here. So I'm going to ask that we're thinking ourselves we're there. I'm going to ask that you actually close your Bibles. You don't hear me say that very often. I'm going to ask that you close your Bibles. I want us to picture ourselves as the original hearers. <clears throat> we're on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives 
Uh, actually, the image in the center, I think it portrays it too far away. It's, it's closer. You can be up there and you can see the picture on the side screens or actual pictures from today on the Mount of Olives in the area. And they just have some of the coolest trees and setting. You can sit there and you can look and you can see Jerusalem. You can see the temple grounds area. It's a highlight time of the year. It's Passover. Everything is a buzz. Everyone is a buzz. Jesus has just been rumbling with the leaders, calling woes upon them. It's likely now maybe an hour or two at the most, maybe after they, uh, Jesus just said the walls are going to come tumbling down. I think they kind of come out of the walls. They, they make this statement. They walk further, and then they're sitting down here, and, and uh, we ask uh, the ones being there, we ask Jesus, what's When's this going to happen and what's the sign of the time of it? And uh, Jesus sits down. He's going to answer their question. Uh, So let's take it as simply and straightforwardly as possible. And by the way, I I want to note this. I actually think this is quite important. Uh, Jesus has no handouts. He has no PowerPoint. He has no whiteboard with a timeline on it. He's just there sitting down with his guys. No No alliteration devices that I see in the text. No three-point outline. Instead, about 2,000 words that we have recorded here that I think are utter hope from him in light of what's about to come. So let's, uh, let's go there. And Jesus answered them. See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. You will hear of wars, rumors of wars, but see that you are not alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, there will be earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then you will be delivered up to tribulation. You will be put to death. You will be hated by all nations. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the entire world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation, the one spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his own house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. Oh, 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 how dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. 
pray that your flight, your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation. The kind of tribulation that has not been seen from the beginning of the world until now, no, never like we have seen before. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. If anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as from the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as this branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words, they will not pass away. But concerning the day and the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, only the Father. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But do know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. 
For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? Whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him in the, with the hypocrites in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise, they took their flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. The wise answered, saying, since there, since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Uh, but he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To, to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one to each according to his own ability, and then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of the servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will entrust you with more. Enter into the joy with your master." He who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who had received the one talent came forth saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man 
reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what is mine own with some interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne. Before him he will gather all the nations And he will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep over on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, come you who are blessed by my father. Come, inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger, naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them, saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. And when Jesus had finished all these things, he said to them, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and that the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. 
you were one of the disciples right there, what would you be thinking at that point in time? I think, one, you'd be thinking, that was a serious moment. Would you agree? Why so serious? Because the whole context of everything, this is a serious moment, friends. This is a serious moment because of what he's just declared out on the temple grounds, what has all taken place, the question the disciples are asking. I think very possibly what the disciples are thinking is going to happen in their own minds with, with what they say. With, then Jesus blows their minds away with the walls are going to all come tumbling down. And then a little while later he comes up, he sits them down and he has a conversation with them and he knows that in two days he's going to be crucified on a cross, murdered, in a horrific way on a cross, and they are all going to see it. It's two days from him leaving, if you want to say it that way, the incarnate Christ, as they know him. And that's a time to get serious. But in the seriousness of it all, I would say it this way, there is a serious hope that has been laid out. And as this week, I've just read through this countless times and tried to place myself, what's, 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 what's Jesus trying to do here? What's the goal here? What are they wanting these, these not learned men to walk away with? He didn't have a whiteboard. He didn't give them a handout. He didn't leave them with a three-point outline. That's all he said, and that's all that they had to go with. What, what, what would, if we were one of them, what would we be talking about after that? And so I want to pull this together, and if you would open your Bibles again, to, to the Sermon on the Mount because I think there's a, some takeaways from this, five takeaways from this uh, that are contain two simple truths to know, two questions to ask, and one life-consuming call. Let me just kind of quickly go through these. I think as you go back to this, the number one thing that stands out, that is the first truth that stands out is this. He's got it. He's got it. Listen, the Lord has got this, friends. And we live in a world where everyone is trying to figure out what is going on. It is just chaos. Everyone is nervous. News is nervous. We're going to die in 12 years where all these kinds of things are laid out. And yet know this, this one, Jesus Christ, knows exactly what's going to happen in the future. He's got this. There is a divine plan. God is not sitting on his throne, nervous, trying to figure this out, confused, or half asleep. He knows exactly where this is going, how it is going to go down, and everything that Jesus says in that tells that he doesn't just know a concept, he knows the details of it. And the big picture fact of it is, is all he's got this. And by the way, what are the disciples going to need in two days? They are going to need, in two days, after Jesus has died on the cross, they are going to need the hope of knowing that, you know what, I have no idea what's going on, I'm confused right now, I'm kind of frustrated right now, I'm hurting right now, I'm bewildered right now, but you know what, he's got this. And even if I don't get it, I don't understand it, even if I don't like it, the hope is that, he has this. And that's not a willy-nilly hope. That is a secured hope. He knows. And he's got it, friends. 
And by the way, the fact that he knows what's going to be taking place in the future implicitly tells us that he knows what's taking place now. He knows what's going to happen later in your life today. He knows what's going to happen in your life tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen the next day, this coming week, this coming month, this coming year. He knows what's going to happen if he doesn't return or we don't see him face to face for the coming years. He knows. And as I've been sitting in this this week, I just sit back and I go, why am I in so turmoil? Because he's got this. I don't. (laughs) I don't. But he does. Loved one, he's got this. Second simple truth is he will return. Some descriptive words that I've pulled together here out of this, let me just mention them through here. Uh, First two words come to mind are heavenly and visibly. His return will be heavenly and visibly. Chapter 24, verse 30. It says, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. Heavenly and visibly. Chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, Bam! It's going to be heavenly and visibly. Oh, another word, unexpectedly. Did you hear that throughout? Chapter 24, verse 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Chapter uh, 24, verse 44, the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Chapter 25, verse 13, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Hey friends, I'm going to say this. Uh, I think there is a hope in the fact that he's got it. There is a hope that he is returning in it. But sometimes we can get too far in trying to predict some things. And we spend too much time trying to get into the details of the timing of it when we've never been called to, to, to figure the time of it. We're, to, we're called to the hope of it, and we will see things as time moves along. But in it all, we need to, we'll get to the end. But the fact is, he's coming, it's returning. It's heavenly, it's visibly, it's unexpectedly. Fourth, it's powerfully Uh, 24 verse 30, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. This is not going to be like, this is going to be Revelation 19. On the horse, the King of kings and the Lord of lords with all the angels behind and all the heavenlies behind, and he's coming. Amen. And by the way, eventually, chapter 24, verse 48, my master is delayed. There's this theme throughout the whole discourse. 25, verse 5, as the bridegroom was delayed. 25, verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those servants came. Listen, uh, it's like, come on, man, he said that like a long time ago, right? Like, get with the program, Lord. Uh, I'll say this, 
he's, he's already said, it's delayed. It's a long time. But then the question is, why does he say in there that it's like, uh, you, all, you will see all of this happening. Aha, that's where we can dig into it another time. But on the big picture of it, we have to see the reality of all this is happening. He's got this, friends. He will return. He will return heavenly and visibly and unexpectedly and powerfully and eventually. Bank on it. Two questions, I think, that come out of all this. Number one is, am I ready? Believer in Christ, for the person who knows Christ Jesus as their Savior, are you ready? What do I mean by that? Here's a few words. Be careful. Chapter 24, verse 4, see that no one leads you astray. Your theology matters. Your doctrine matters. Watch it. Watch it. Christianity has a tendency for our theology just to slide along with culture. But it's to be grounded in God's word and secured there. Watch your theology. Be careful. Chapter 24, verse 6, see that you are not alarmed. Be careful. Also, be ready. It's kind of the same ideas here, different words. Be ready. 24, verse 33, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Chapter 24, verse 44, therefore, you also must be ready. I remember when I was younger, I was like, you know what, man, you know, I'd kind of like to see what life looks like. You know, Lord, if you could hold off for a little while. And, you know, man, I don't know if the Lord would have it where I'd get married. That'd be kind of cool just to experience what that's like. And then, you know, man, have kids and that'd be kind of, I don't know, I'm just like, let's go. And by the way, in it all, I think that thinking, and which is understandable, at times we've all thought that way, and yet the reality of it is, is I think that just shows we do not understand how grand heaven is. It is so grand that we are not going to be going, oh man, I missed that life. And then we're going to be like, sooner would have been great. <laughs> be ready. Also stay awake. 24 verse 42, therefore stay awake. 25 verse 13, watch therefore. This leads to another word I'm using here, endure. Am I ready? Am I ready to endure? 24 verse 9, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated but the one that endures to the end will be saved. Let me just make a comment on the beginning part of it. Listen first, do you understand in all this thing that there is a, a reality that goes on that before it gets really, really good it's gonna get really bad? Are you ready for that? I don't say that with great joy because I like good. I like comfortable. But yet the fact of the matter is, is something about the Christian life carries this thing of there is a hard things that go on in life. And then his last statement, but the one that endures to the end will be saved. I'll just simply say, I love the way Morris says this on this commenting on it. Saving faith is not known by some firm declaration or well-intentioned beginning, but by endurance. In other words, is there a beginning to life with Christ? Absolutely. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians 1, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, therefore you are sins upon sins, but, 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 but God... Verse 4, rich in mercy and in grace. Uh, you are saved uh, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Uh, scripture tells us as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Has there been a time in your life where you started relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Listen, the start then is to be followed by endurance and to be followed by fruit. 
That's one of the things we've certainly seen through the Gospel of Matthew. There is fruit that flows out of a life that comes to Christ. So it's not just based upon, well, there was a moment when I did this, and then there's no fruit. You have to ask yourself the question, Mark chapter 4, was there salvation at all? But coming out of it, there is endurance is a factor, is a characteristic, is a mark of someone redeemed in Christ. Am I ready? And then am I certain? Chapter 25, verse 34, the end of it. Man, when it gets heavy. And Jesus says, those on as the sheep puts on the right, he separates all. And those on his right, he says, come sheep. And then verse 46, into eternal life. I don't know about you, but I want that. Jesus, we've been seeing all through the gospel, come, 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 sheep. And then also with the reality, 25, verse 41, depart, goats, into eternal punishment. And I get zero thrill out of saying that. I do not want a soul to know eternal punishment. Never want that for anyone And yet, this clearly lays out the reality, friends. This is serious stuff before the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. Are you certain? Do you know that you know that you know that you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? If you don't, you need to talk with someone. You need to get with someone because this has eternal consequences to it. He's got this. He will return. Am I ready? Am I certain? And lastly... I think there's just a thing coming out of all this that says, chapter 26, verses 1 and 2, that says, let's do this. In light of that, let's do this. In light of the fact that he's got this, in light of the fact that he will return, in light of the fact of so many things stated within this discourse, there's just a thing in this that goes, it's like, okay, 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 let's do this. And that's what God's people should be. Let's get after it. Let's do it. It's 24 verse 9. They will deliver you up to tribulation, put you to death, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake, but let's do this. Chapter 24 verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through all of the world. Let's do that. 24 verses 45 and 46. Who then is faithful and wise Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food in their proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Let's be doers of the word. Chapter 25, verse 35, for I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. Let's do this. And that's what this is about. Not perfect people but very broken people who have come to understand that there is a Savior that has come to die in our place, making salvation available so that we can have relationship with him, the forgiveness of sins, to be able to know the security of the fact that he's got this. And what today is, is heading to him coming back. Let's do this. Let's continue doing this. And so God, that's what I pray. I pray that you would give within us 
a right view of who you are, an increasing doxology, an increasing opinion of the splendor of who you are, and that out of that increasing splendor of who you are drives us to be doers of the words, one who are confident in the fact of who you are and what you have done and what you will do. Lord, you are just plain awesome. And the fact that you would even share all this, not only is it a blessing to be able to know that you are real, that you are engaged, and that you have a plan, but even just knowing that you want us to have that hope, the hope of the work of the cross and the resurrection in our lives, the forgiveness of sins, confidence of knowing that we've been redeemed, the hope that you provide and secure, and the hope that this broken planet is headed exactly where you have planned. You've got this, and I'm glad you do. In Christ's name, amen.